What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We have a, I guess, a unique show that is uh, built around a goodbye to a quarterback who kind of entered the fold right when I started getting into covering the Browns. We'll talk about all of that here in just a moment. My name is Jake Burns, as you know, lucky enough to steal some time from the very, very busy, but I would say a VIP guest of the show now, Jordan Zerm. What's up, buddy? Wow. Making the VIP list, Jake, is something that I've always you know, wanted ever since your podcast began. I just was like, I hope to one day make the VIP list so to finally be there. Um, it means a lot. So I, you know, thank you for that. Um, really an honor for me. Your gifts in the mail, it'll be there. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's just a short waiting period as the guys are backed up in the mail delivery service, but it'll be there. And then you can, okay. you can stop back in and report on what the uh, bevy of, of gifts you get as an exclusive VIP member of the uh, OBR film breakdown. But anyway, let's talk about this trade, man. So I, I, again, I, I really got into covering this team in 17, talking about Mayfield, as a member of that class into the 18 draft and um, everything that I have sort of been about, because I really, I was a fan and following in the 17 draft and, and obviously they passed on Watson and all of that. Now it's all come full circle, but nonetheless, like when I started doing this, it was the era of what they were going to draft. And then they drafted Baker Mayfield. And that is when I really started to do a podcast and write for the OBR and where everything sort of came together for me tied into them drafting Baker Mayfield. So now July 6, 2022, they have moved on from him and just over four years, he did not get to the fifth year. The parameters of the deal. If you slept under a rock today, uh, the Browns shipped him off to Carolina. They got a fifth round pick back. If he plays 70% of the snaps for Carolina this year, it will, it will turn into a fourth round pick. Now the money is where I think there was a holdup for several uh, weeks, or uh, some have said over a month. I'm not totally sure on that timeline, but the money is where it gets interesting, right? So they split the 18 and a half million this way. The Browns will still cover 10 and a half million. The Panthers take on just 5 million. And it sounds like it was Mayfield taking that three and a half million off of his total salary that ended up pushing the deal to the 15 million mark is where it ultimately settles because Mayfield's number three and a half just disappears. So there's a lot to unpack there, Jordan, in terms of those numbers, but I guess it will react to the trade now. And then we'll do some uh, nostalgia trip down memory lane. I don't know if it's nostalgia because it's not really a yearning for the past. I think we all want to move on in a sense, but uh, just a trip down memory lane in a little bit. But I think what stood out to me the most was that he took three and a half million, which is in no small portion of money in an NFL where you never know how much money you're going to make. This is clearly a unique decision for Mayfield and a massive gamble on his future because say he doesn't pan out, Jordan, say he this year doesn't go well for him. He could end up losing that three and a half million and that's not a small sum of money. Yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm a little torn on this because on one hand it is, it does feel like it was his only one of his only options, uh, the longer this went on, um, for him to sort of take a deal like this where he is giving up, like you said, that that $3 million to basically play on sort of a prove-it prove year with the Panthers. So part of me is like, this is really the only path that Baker sort of had. Like he, as, as we went longer and longer in this and, and teams, you know, the Browns sort of 
put their foot in the dirt and were like, you know, this is the amount of money we want you to want a team to, to pay of a salary. And, and Baker, like, you know, if you can take that three mil and just let it, you know, let it go, we can get this done probably today. I don't know how strong the communication was between the Browns and Baker's team, but I'm sure there was discussions and, and all of that. And the Browns really dug their heels in there. And so for Baker, it's almost like, you know, what was, it's unclear what the alternatives were at this point for him. And the Panthers really throughout this whole thing, especially as we got into July was like really the only team left. You kept hearing sort of here and there, there's a flirtation with Seattle, but that never really felt serious. So for him, it's almost like this is just what he had to do. And if there's like one thing about Baker and Baker's whole thing is like, God prove myself like the, you know, it's a very tired narrative at this point, but his whole career has just been him with this mindset of, I got to prove myself again. I got to prove myself again. And he's sort of right back in there. Um, so he's going to a place where like it, it, he was sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And he's sort of got to do this where, look, I'm going to have to forfeit some salary at the moment. Um, and he can, obviously he can get that back based on how he plays, which um, was a, was something that was reported today. So uh, like you said, there's, there, it can go two ways. Uh, either he plays well, he earns that money back. He, he reestablishes himself as a viable starting quarterback in the NFL and goes from there. But if it doesn't go well, that three million is gone, and and then it becomes the, the next chapter of Baker's career is pretty murky. So, I unfortunately think what this has become for him is like this is really the only path is doing a hey I got to prove it I got to go out I have to get my reputation back as a quarterback that can play good starting football in this league, and I'm going to have to forfeit some salary to do it. But he was sort of left in a position with how long this went along and sort of the, the cooling of the market on him. Um, because of that salary that this was almost the only path so it is definitely a, a gamble and a bit of a risk on his part but it also feels Jake a little bit like this was he saw the path and he sort of saw the light here and he had been you know vocally uh, at his um, at his camp that he had in Norman last week uh, you know vocally frustrated that he hadn't been moved yet and he didn't know where he was going and I think he probably just got to a point where he said this is this might be the best I'm going to get and this might be the best chance I'm going to get and if I don't do this now you know, who knows where it goes. So um, I think he was in a pretty tough spot and this felt like the way he could wiggle out of it. Yeah. Let's, let's analyze this from a couple, a couple of different angles. So we, we would say, you know, and I kind of wrote on this just a little bit ago from Baker Mayfield side, do you think this was a win or lose spot? Like I'm not trying to do the, who wins or loses the trade, but I'm, I'm kind of saying, is this, does this benefit Baker? Do you think this is good for him? Do you think it's a good landing spot? Do you think he made the right decision to give back some money to make it happen? I do. I can see it from Baker's perspective where you look you look at Carolina and you say, okay, I'm better than Sam Darnold. Like I, I do, I believe in my heart of heart that, you know, Baker Mayfield is and has been a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. So you say, okay, I'm fully healthy. Cleared my head. I'm out of Cleveland where things had, had really taken a pretty bad turn. So, you know, maybe he's got a mental refresh as well. I can go in there. I can beat out Sam Darnold. I can go in there and, and beat out Matt Corral. Um, and, and I can, and I can win that job. And then you sort of look at, you know, the, the, what they have in Carolina. I mean, obviously like Christian McCaffrey, despite his constant injury problems is a intriguing piece for any quarterback to, to have the, ability to play with. So you feel like a little comfortable there. You hope he stays healthy. You have a DJ Moore. 
Um, and then you, <laughs> you have the Robbie Anderson thing, which remains absolutely hilarious that the outcome that he said he would retire instead of, uh, you know, it actually happening, uh, has happened, but you know, but he, there's some pieces there. Now I don't think their offense is, you know, anything. I think I saw some tweet where somebody was like, this might be the best supporting cast Baker's ever had, which is like an absolutely absurd thing to say. Um, but Christian McCaffrey, obviously when he's healthy is you know, top five, top seven running back in the NFL does a a ton of things out of the backfield. And, you know, Baker's used to having a a really strong running game and he's, as we know, always played really well when he can execute play action. And so if Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, I can see from Baker's perspective um, how Carolina feels like a place with his sort of confidence. And if he's fully healthy, how he can go in there, he can win the job. Um, And then you've got you've got a team around you that you feel like, okay, I can do something with. Whereas, you know, you think about Seattle and, and outside of DK Metcalf and you just are sort of like, okay, what am I working with here? Um, in terms of what that team is now, um, how, you know, how Pete Carroll sort of his visions of, of what that offense is going to be drafting Kenneth Walker and wanting to be run heavy. Like Seattle to me never felt like a place where if I was Baker Mayfield's camp, I would feel like, yeah, like let's go in there and let's, you know, let's reestablish ourselves there. So of any place that sort of remained as a legitimate, realistic place for him to go, I, I do think that Carolina has the potential for him to at least sort of be insulated and have a little bit of um, some talent around him so that he doesn't feel like he's got to kind of go in there. He's already going to be under pressure, obviously. Like this will be a huge year for him if he does indeed win that starting job. And um, he, he, I, I would imagine he feels that he does have some pieces around him, uh, with which to work with. So I, I can see from his, his camp and, and his perspective, why, why Carolina felt like an okay place. And so I, I totally get that from his perspective. I think he just can't quit Richard Higgins. That's a fact. He no, just can't quit no, him. He, two or... That's a bond that is unbreakable, Jake. In, inseparable guys. I tell you. So, uh, to, to build on your point there, Charles Robinson also noted uh, he's at Charles Robinson on Twitter. Uh, He did a great job of covering this in sort of a four or five tweet thread here as the Panthers were the only viable option. The Seahawks were never really in play unless Mayfield was cut, which was still a borderline uh, plausible outcome to this whole thing. But Seattle being rumored recently from accounts unknown that they were serious players in pursuing Mayfield never seemed to be a real thing from those in the know. Uh, the Panthers were the only viable option and the patience, uh, the Browns patience and Mayfield's willingness to trim salary revived it after draft talks cratered. So it's significantly moved after that. The thing that Mayfield can do is he can get three and a half million back if the incentives fall into place. So he has incentives to get that money back. It'd probably be the best outcome removed. Probably it would be the best outcome for everybody involved, Jordan, because the Browns then get their fourth round pick instead of a fifth and Mayfield gets more money and whatever, whatever. So um, yeah, that's the parameters of the deal from Mayfield's perspective. I think you answered that. Well, I don't really have a ton to add to that. He wanted a chance to start somewhere and I think he's got a great chance. It is ironic that Carolina had to actually give up more in assets to go get Matt Corral than they did Mayfield. And that kind of takes us to our second point. I don't think you can, I think you can look, even if you're not a believer in Mayfield and you and I have had significant doubts, you can look at this deal for Carolina and, and to me to only pay 5 million and get a look at this guy, if he comes back healthy and we'll talk about some of the stuff tied to his early season health here, 
But if he comes back healthy and plays pretty average football to above average football to the type of player we saw in 2020, he can be a, a, a nice quarterback if the situation is right and the things fall the right way. Now, that doesn't help them make a long-term decision on this player. You know, that's kind of the thing the Browns are always dreading is if we get this type of guy, is he worth X amount of dollars? We'll let Carolina sort that out. But for a one-year deal, I feel like Carolina got a really good thing here. Do you agree with that? Or do you think Carolina sort of muddied the waters? No, I think like this feels like what they were trying to do with Sam Darnold, except that Sam Darnold is not as good. And they, you know, they picked up his, his extension year, like, immediately after signing him which was just absolutely baffling last season and now they're sort of just on the hook and he's just there so it's it feels like you know their thought process is are they're just like okay we have to do this again because we screwed up so badly on the Sam Darnold thing I mean I think like yeah there's two ways to look at this the first one is just there is a bit of hey what is what are you guys doing in Carolina because not only did they do the Darnold thing then, like you said, they spent more capital to move up to take Matt Corral, who, you know, wasn't I, – I, at least I don't think they had plans on, hey, we're putting you in, in training camp to compete immediately with Sam Dartle. Now, maybe they, they had ideas of that. But, you know, so they do that, and then now they're like, okay, like, let's go get Baker. So, yes, I do think they have muddled, like, hey, what are we trying to do here? But at the same time, you know, I, if – if Baker wins this job pretty easily, and like you said, like plays above average football, which he's capable of. Um, and you know, they can feel, yeah, I mean, they got him for nothing, Jake. I mean, that is, that's what's, you know, so insane about this whole thing is that this is a former number one pick with a playoff win under his belt with, um, you know, some, some really good seasons or, or stretches of play, I should say under his belt, you're, you're getting them for a, you know, a conditional fifth rounder and, and five million bucks. So it's, um, you know, to be able to do that as a, and trot him out there and say, Hey, like you, you have all, everything in the world to prove. And, and so you have a ton of incentive to play as good of football as you can to be the best teammate that you possibly can. And yeah, I mean, like to take a flyer on that guy, that's pretty low risk. Um, is great, but it, it is funny to see sort of the backdrop of how they got to this point with the Darnold thing, which was insane. Um, and then with the sort of like, let's move up to get this very unproven, no one knows if he's going to be good rookie quarterback and then bring in Baker Mayfield on top of it. So um, I'm not sure Carolina has any idea truly what they're doing, but that doesn't mean that this deal wasn't something that they should have jumped at because it is essentially getting him for next to nothing. Yeah, the ceiling. I think Robinson even noted the ceiling. They viewed this as a risk versus investment, a high ceiling, high floor move that they went with this against Garoppolo. I I can see that. I think Mayfield is a little less defined in terms of his ceiling than than um, than Jimmy. But you're you're definitely mired in inconsistency. So there's that risk. I would view it as a little lower floor personally. But that's their internal view and why they made the move. I do sort of think it's it's just going to be fascinating I, I i i think that the odds on favorite right now if you're uh, into betting is that everybody gets flushed after this year they end up being bad which is i think the most likely outcome for carolina is that they're pretty bad matt rule is fired at some point in the season and they're in the cj stroud bryce young uh, mold of picking their next quarterback, right? Where Darnold's gone and Baker's gone and they got this Matt Corral kid. Maybe they think that there's something there. I don't know. But 
Uh, that just feels like if you are a betting person, that feels like the most logical outcome. I just have a hard time seeing these guys all of a sudden just put it all together. But I mean, it could happen, but I just have a hard time seeing it that way. But for the sake of the trade discussion here, feels like a good deal for Mayfield in terms of landing, feels like a good deal in terms of value uh, of what they gave up and how they're operating under the money uh, situation for Carolina. The question then becomes, and the most important thing that I would imagine our listeners are concerned about, what did you think of the deal for the Browns perspective here? Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I, I noted, it, it is, it is wild to think about sort of the fall of, of Mayfield in terms of what his market is. Um, you know, the Browns were in a, a spot of absolutely no leverage. So they, you know, they clearly, knew this is what it was going to be when they went out and they got to Sean Watson. They, despite, you know, many people thinking that like, Oh, he could come back for the Browns or like any of that insane stuff. The Browns clearly made their decision when they got to Sean Watson that, Hey, we're getting rid of Baker. And it's just, you know, here's what we're going to try and get rid of him for. We're going to try and find a team that could take some salary or whatever it may be. Like, I don't think the Browns ever truly thought that they were going to get much more than, you know, what they, what they were able to move them for. Now, maybe like during the draft, there were some deals in place that they hoped they would be able to get done for a little bit more that just kind of fell through. Um, but because of like, you know, the, the quarterback movement this off season and, you know, Matt Ryan going to a place where, where Baker had some inklings that he might go and, and you know, the, the Atlanta Falcons sort of drafting Desmond Ritter and, and signing Marcus Mariota, like there were just places that dried up really quickly as his landing spot. So like maybe the Browns thought, they'd have a few more options or have some teams that were a little more desperate. Um, you know, we mentioned Seattle too, but they just never had the leverage to get what was going to be considered anything close to, I think a quote unquote good deal here, Jake. Like I just think they were aware of that. And that was the price that they were willing to pay to secure who somebody they feel is a, and I agree with as a, is a superior quarterback obviously there's some mitigating factors that are going to affect how many games he plays this season but um they obviously were ready to sort of take this was like a sunken cost at this point with baker so from their perspective and and a little bit from mine it's sort of like at this point it's a bit of a shoulder shrug um i i think you would like to have thought that baker's market as a former number one pick and a guy that has played good football before would be a little bit more robust, but like that just wasn't the reality, especially after the season he just had and sort of, you know, some rumblings from players about how they feel about him. It just doesn't seem like Baker was a guy that uh, after the season he had teams were going to be over the rainbow about getting um, even, you know, if there wasn't the contract with it and like, he was just like a straight up, you know, free agent. I don't know how many teams would be, banging his door down to be like, we want you immediately and we're giving you a huge deal, like that type of thing. So I I think they were they put themselves in a spot where his value is never going to be very high. Now this is, you know, to just get him for pennies like this is, yeah, it's probably a little bit of like, man, you know, like how did we get how did we get to this point where he his value is almost nothing. But um, you know, between his play and the Browns desire to get to Sean Watson, I think I, I never really expected to get much more than this in return, I guess, which doesn't mean it's good. I just think like this is sort of the what the market dictated and where they're at. Like this is this felt like was always going to be the likely outcome with the little to no leverage that the Browns had here. Yeah, I think there's times in life where it's good to be first to something. There's times in life where yep. it's good to be last to something. And this situation 
It felt like Mayfield's being behind Wentz and Darnold in the trades. It just, there was a precautionary tale there. You know, you add that cautionary tale to the shoulder injury and the decline performance. Not that the poor performance of Wentz or, or, or Darnold really killed their value, but the shoulder thing is real, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And some of the things circulating about his time in Cleveland, it all adds up to, hey, we're not doing the thing that Wentz did here. We're not doing the thing that, 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 that originally we did for Sam Darnold. We're learning our lesson a bit. And the market just wasn't great. It was a, it was a sort of a conflux of a lot of different things at the, right, the wrong time for Cleveland. I think to your point, I'm, I'm largely agreeing. The the worst scenario here is that they had to cut him and and, and to be able to yeah. get anything back and that cutting thing like I said earlier was very real like that could seriously have happened if Carolina was less uh, less uh, I guess I don't know what way to put this but just just if they were more thrilled with their guys they they wouldn't have been in this market and it would have been really dry it seems like Carolina was ultimately bidding against themselves or whatever the case here but I, I just don't see any other teams really in the fold so. Uh, it's just a bad market and lessons learned from other teams and for the Browns to come out of it with a chance to get a fourth round pick that seems semi-realistic here and to get off $8 million, uh, for cap for the rollover. I don't really view them as going to get a veteran. I think they're likely to use that as rollover cap. And what that means is you roll over your extra cap unused against the salary cap to then use it as a one-time thing. You then use that money to cover void years that you put in contracts to make your number. This is kind of tricky, but we learn a little bit here and there. They use those void year contracts to make the cap number lower for the initial season, but you have to pay that credit card off later. How do you do that? Well, it's nice to have a chunk of change there from rollover cap that you can use that doesn't count against the next year's salary cap. So that does help them into the future. So uh, I'm with you, largely with you. This was fine for Cleveland, the best of a bad situation. In an ideal world, Jordan, they could have made this trade after Mayfield's fourth year and they wouldn't have had to give him the fifth year option promise, or they could have gotten a decision on a trade or, or, or moved on from Baker before the Watson decision. I don't know. It's just it, the, the Watson timing was always going to be difficult and it wasn't going to simultaneously work with moving Mayfield, especially back in March when he was just off of surgery. So there's all that other stuff to throw into it. So not it's not great, but again, I don't know how it could have been any better. So I'll sort of leave it at that. Jordan and I are going to take a trip down memory lane here in just a minute where we're going to revisit some times that we've had with Baker Mayfield. And we'll do so right after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's let's touch base on it. I think, Jordan, we did a little bit of this. We, you and I recorded an episode that we never aired where I think it was like, wasn't it like right after or close to after when Mayfield came out and made that goodbye to Cleveland letter, which maybe he has another one yeah. at this point, but where we talked a little bit about some of our favorite Mayfield stuff from his time here. And I didn't get to post that pod because Watson made his decision and none of those yep. other quarterbacks mattered. So we'll do it now again. Uh, you know, maybe we forgot our answers from back then, but I got a laundry list of just Baker Mayfield type things. And we'll, we'll talk about him in Cleveland. And again, it to me is a weird closing of a book because of the time that I got into covering these guys and, He's been with Cleveland throughout my journey of figuring out how I want to cover football and all of that. So it's, it's strange. We'll, we'll start, you know, this closing of a chapter is very strange. It's going to be weird as we dig into this year for a multitude of reasons, obviously, but we'll start with, with Mayfield's what was your favorite or best Mayfield moment in Cleveland. Do you have one that sticks out above all else? I think there are several, but I'm curious if you have one that will always, you know, 15 years from now, you think Baker Mayfield will think of that moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people, so I'll just kind of mention it and then go to one that I think maybe is a little more like not going to be the one that I think most people would think of. I mean, it's hard to not say that, you know, the the debut against the Jets and, and that whole sort of the atmosphere at the stadium and, you know, people had sort of been ready for Mayfield to come in, you know, with Tyrod Taylor starting multiple games and you've got this number one pick just kind of waiting in the winds and the wings and nobody really understood like or knew when he was going to play. And then, you know, unfortunately Tyrod got hurt. Um, but Baker came in and was just kind of slinging it from the beginning. And, um, you know, they had that awesome, the two point conversion where he caught the, where he caught the ball in the end zone and the Cleveland, the Cleveland's version of the Philly special. And there's that great picture I always remember that's one of my favorite things is a great picture of uh, Baker and Hollywood Higgins guys. We, you know, the, the two that are joints at the hip and are now together in Carolina, but it's a great picture of, of Baker sort of strutting after catching the touchdown and Hollywood is right behind him celebrating. And like that, that was such a moment um, for the city and, and, you know, Bud Light had their whole, the beer, you know, they had the beer fridges that would open when Cleveland got its first win. And um, I remember, going home I remember where I watched that game like I watched it um, in Ohio City at Saucy Brew Works and then I drove home and I had actually I was for some reason on a Bud Light promo list and they had actually sent me a mini Bud Light fridge that was locked so I had it in my (laughs) attic and I came home and the lock was off and I a buddy of mine came over and we just sort of sat in the backyard and and had a couple Bud Lights and just sort of you know, took it all in. It was really cool. It was about as good of a debut as you could ask for, Jake. I think from a, a guy with as much hype as Mayfield, he had some really incredible throws in that game. I remember there's one to Jarvis Landry that he sort of fits into an absurd window that I think a lot of people remember. Um, so that's like the very obvious one. I, I think the other one for me um, is just, we've talked about this on past pods, and it maybe was the best throw he made his entire time in Cleveland, but it's that one to Jarvis Landry. I, I believe it was against the Panthers where ironic. he's, he, it is very ironic where he's moving out of the pocket 
and he just just launches on the move. A perfect, I mean, you could not ask for a more accurately thrown ball to Jarvis for a touchdown. Just like this gorgeous, just rips it. And it's a it's a quarterback that like you and I have discussed, like we just didn't see that guy later in his career with the Browns. But as a rookie, man, he had just some throws that had us sort of dreaming of what that Browns team could be and the quarterback that he could be. And that jar and that throw to Landry is just, I mean, one of the better NFL throws to this day that I think I've, I've seen. Um, and I, I remember where I was for that game and how, you know, they were struggling for a little bit against the Panthers in that game. And then Baker just sort of unleashed some incredible throws. And then I do have just one honorary mention of, you know, and this is, this coincides with me working for NFL social. And so we got to have a ball with this, but um, I believe it's when Hollywood caught a touchdown against Tennessee in, in the 2020 season. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Hollywood does the walk, the red carpet celebration. And, and there's that clip of Baker running in, doing like this perfect little slide and turn to get in his, uh, his cameraman position to take pictures of, of Hollywood walking the red carpet. And it's maybe one of the funniest clips I've ever seen. I mean, we posted it on social and it did like incredible for us. So I I will always remember that too. Um, Yeah, man. I mean, there, those probably three are the ones that stand out, but I, but I do think, you know, aside from that Jets game, which I tweeted today was probably one, a highlight and a high point of my Browns fandom. I mean, that game, and the aftermath of that game was absolutely awesome um, for, you know, for us, for me and you, Jake, who you know, started watching the Browns, you know, in 1999, we haven't had a lot of those experiences where you, you feel that energy and you feel that hope of like what it could be. And, and that, that night was very special in that way, um, especially because it was on TNF and a national televised game and all that. But I, I think about that throw to Jarvis a lot, <laughs> especially, you know, if I go back and look at my Twitter and, and, you know, I was just losing my mind on that throw. And it was a, it was a really special moment. And it was something that a lot of us thought like, man, like the potential of this dude. And it, it just never really fully realized itself. But there were moments, especially his rookie year, as you know, well, that there were some throws that just you're like, my goodness. So um, that one probably in my mind is the biggest one. Yeah. I'd, I'd add, I'd add pretty similar sentiments. The, the the part of the 2018 stuff, like you said, is is what it could be. And and you you knew like he's making these plays, and you think logically the only way we can go from here is up. He's going to get better. Yep. He's going to be more. It's going to happen more often. And it's like that's what we were thinking at the time. And I remember I made this 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 clip of his throws, his his best efforts from 20. 18 that had like I had to really keep it tight to fit it in two minutes and 20 seconds to be a Twitter clip like it was there were so many great throws that rookie year and you're you're absolutely right a lot of people will remember that Jets game as a symbolic ending to the suffering and and it was he did not bring the suffering I and mean, he ended that stuff he he deserves he respect he deserves respect for many things and he did he did in that suffering that 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 winless streak and that night was special on a lot of fronts and I'll never forget somebody posted a live in-game, not live, but an in-game in-stadium clip of that and the the quite like the ball is snapped on that first drop back. I think he hits Jarvis or some I think it was Jarvis on just like a little 12-yard stick um up the up the, from the slot up, up up the hash and it got so like so quiet from snap to ball being caught where everybody was just holding their breath. Uh it was really really unique to watch that because you know, you're nervous about this guy and 
uh, everything that's surrounding your first overall pick quarterback being thrust into a primetime game. And then you're absolutely right, too. He went in. He played well. He, I don't think he threw a touchdown that night, but he played so well. He played a clean game. And that moment, the Panthers moment, some of the end of season moments where he went into Baltimore that year and really lit up Baltimore late in the season. And uh, you just had this this hope, man. And then there's not really much from 19 that you want to remember or do remember. Uh, the, no. 2020, the 2020 season was very fun. He had a lot of moments. Uh, I will say a couple others that stick out to me from 2020 was obviously the playoff game, right? You know, that, that I'll always remember sort of the, the, the gif from that season will be Baker running off the field, smiling, doing a, yeah. a jumping hip bump with miles Garrett. And you felt like, Hey man, this stuff is maybe on the right track here. There, there could be something here. And then, then the, then the next week is a Kansas city game where again, he played really well. I mean, he didn't capitalize late the final drive that he got. He didn't capitalize, which became a microcosm of who he is right now in the NFL but he played pretty well and he put some balls in a keyhole and uh, he gave them a chance. And I'll always remember that 2020 late season run and what that was for him and what it was like. Uh, but ultimately you start to understand the limitations and all of that uh, that have brought him down. And, and, and we'll talk about our worst Mayfield moment, unfortunately in a minute, but <laughs> like those three things, I think that jets game stands out to me as a, as a highlight of how you felt about him. I certainly think that the, um, two games in 2020, those two playoff games where, again, you started to feel that reignition of of hope, of like this could be what we think it could be. We're starting to see some good uh, added into uh, some of the things that Stefanski brings. And then you know, and we know where it got. But like those are the moments that will probably always stick to me in my head. He brought them out of the 0-30-whatever misery, 30, I can't even remember any, 36? What was it? No, it was what that was like Hughes' record. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't. What were they? Were they zero and thirty, or what was their number at that point? Wasn't it like one in thirty-three? I forget exactly oh, what it was, remember. but it, it was, was something absurd. It was absurd. They had a winless streak, so it was zero and sixteen the year before, and then I think they lost the first game or two. So it was a long winless streak, uh, yeah. and and he does that. He ends the. He's a part of leading that team in the playoffs and the playoff drought initially, and then I think another one that we shouldn't forget here is when he ran for that. What did they call that play Maserati or something like that? He ran for that first down, <laughs> hopped up and, and pointed for the oh, first yeah. down. And yeah, I'll, I think I'll remember that one too, but you know, I mean, uh, we're going to dive into a couple of important questions surrounding his, his ultimate legacy in Cleveland, but there were some really good moments and he did provide a level of quarterback play that we have not seen. And we've, I feel like he brought us into the modern era of quarterback. Let me put it that way. He brought us yeah. into the modern era of quarterback where we say, I'm not talking about Charlie Fry. I'm not talking about Austin Davis. I'm not talking about these guys anymore. The Charlie Whitehurst of the world, uh, you know, Deshaun Kaiser is what it was before. We're talking about a guy that can we win with this guy long term or not? He brought Cleveland to the modern era of quarterback. Now Cleveland thought they needed more, but he did do at least that, and that kind of ties into we're going to talk about how we'll remember him in a bit. But like that is a thing that will always be something for me. He brought them into a modern era of quarterback. We're going to switch to worst moment, which I'm going to keep it tight. I think that some of his worst moments came this year. Um, yep. I think the ultimate low point I had as a, as, as a Mayfield uh, trying to figure out where he was going to find long-term success. One game that stands out to me before the end of the year was the Minnesota game. And 
I just was perplexed at he was so broken and I was confused about basic decisions, basic throws, that scramble where he's running out wide and he's got Demetric Felton in the flat wide open. He does the infamous throw it. screenshot. <laughs> oh my God. It's so bad. And then the missing Odell on the out and up late in the game, among other misses uh, throughout that game, you just started to be like, this is it. I can see the end of this because they're going to get desperate to find something better. And, and although we did not know Watson would be the eventual outcome, we did know that they were going to be seriously looking at other quarterbacks and that a divorce might start to happen here because you could see the riff in the locker room. You could see the little jabs and comments after games and in the, in the midweek, and it just started to get there. Now, you could probably talk, too, about the, pa- the Packers game, primetime game, really, really ugly performance. The other one I would say is the Pittsburgh game, too, late in the year, his last game before he shut it down. Uh, it just you could you could feel the sacks he was taking. There are several infamous screenshots of, hey, there's a guy standing right in front of your face and he took a sack. Right. Like he just at that point was as broken as broken can get. He started throwing jabs at the coaches after the game. You could feel it. You could sense it. Those to me will be the low points. I think you could talk about 29 being a low point because of the disappointment riding the high of 2018. But those games this year where you're like you slouch down in your chair and say, well, this is just not it. That's when it got the lowest for me. What do you, what do you have? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're spot on with the the Minnesota game. I was, I was going to mention the Odell throw just specifically that, because I think that just represented so much of, of what was the microcosm of that season where he and Odell were literally never on the same page. And he, you know, Odell's breaking inward and, and Baker's throwing the ball uh, or I'm sorry, Odell's breaking outside and, and Baker's throwing the ball inside. And it's, you know, you, you just are at an absolute loss as to, you know, that should have been uh, a touchdown or a huge gain. And it's just this, this lack of connection and lack of Baker, you know, putting the ball where it needs to be. And, and then that ultimately leads to all of the drama with Odell and Odell's dad and eventually, you know, the exile and uh, of Odell and, you know, then Odell goes and wins the Super Bowl because of course, but that really, to me, just represented, I remember being so frustrated and, and that pass just really, you know, even though they somehow won that game, that that pass just really was absolutely, um, I think, a microcosm of what that season had become. So I think that that's a really, that one stands out a lot. You mentioned the Packers game and I, I was going to bring that up too. You know, he's just because of how inaccurate he was in that game. And he just looked like such a, just a completely different person than the quarterback that we had been used to. That really felt like the, I mean, that Steelers game was, was a disaster, but it already felt like it had been broken. And that was just sort of the, you know, you're trotting them out and everybody's just, just completely broken. And that they never had a chance to win that game, but that Packers game, where some of the interceptions he threw were just just brutal. I mean, the, everybody remember the big one to Jarvis where he throws it over his head by I don't know a country mile, and you're just like, what is like what is going on yeah. here? Obviously, you know the injuries um, and the injury to the shoulder had him compensating and and probably not um, using the correct footwork. There is the the also the screenshot of one interception he throws where his his foot is like turned all the way back, like the throwing stance and his footwork was just abysmal and I I do believe that part of that was due to him compensating for the shoulder injury but 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 part of it that we had seen all season was just he had sort of gotten into a lot of really bad habits um 
and was sort of just broken mechanically as a quarterback. And, and that Packers game was just, I just remember the frustration that we all felt and how, you know, we were so optimistic about this season and how far the Browns could go. And you're just watching a quarterback who just can't, just cannot, you know, is actively hurting the team. Um, and you, I think you just never really thought it was going to get to that point. So those two, those two really stand out for me. And and I remember I also, I was going back through some of my tweets and um, I mean, I think we're pretty aligned on the three games. There's a game, the game against Pittsburgh where, um, you know, there were like three people open on one play uh, and yeah. Baker just holds on to the ball. Um, and I forget the outcome, whether he got, he might've been sacked. He yep, was, he was sacked. Okay. And you're looking at Ernest Johnson in the flat. You've got Njoku over the middle. And, and I think there was another guy open. And he just, he looks at him and he just won't let the ball go. Um, and that really felt, again, like th- there's throws that are sort of a microcosm of what he had become as a quarterback. And that Odell throw and that throw against the Steelers, well, lack of a throw, I should say, against the Steelers, um, along with the one you mentioned with Demetri Felton. It was just like, what? Like, this is this has gone so far the other direction, and, and I'm not sure how we come back from it. And I think the organization felt the same way. Um, and so those were really, you know, those were really, it was difficult, man, because you, the expectations for what this past season could be um, and what it turned into uh, were really tough. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of it was because of what, how Baker played. Um, and those throws really <laughs> sort of encapsulate that. So those were probably... Those were probably the low moments in a season that really it went south pretty quickly. It did. There were a couple of games against Pittsburgh earlier portions of his career where he was just yes, he was abysmal and looked like he didn't belong. So some of those moments deserve some recognition. That first Pittsburgh game in 2020 was that was a rough moment because I think oh. that was close to the bye before he started to catch on in 2020. Those first six seven weeks, I cannot remember the exact number. I believe that was the uh, the Minka Fitzpatrick pick six, yes. um, yeah, where he was. threw it right to him. Yes, I'm. I mean, I remember probably talking to you at the time, talking to other people at the time, and and being pretty worried um, before he sort of turned it on out of the bye. But I think there were always sort of signs of when he's not playing well and not seeing the field well. This is what it looks like, and that all kind of came to a head um, in this past season, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, he's so streaky. He's so streaky, and it's like seeing him find that consistency is hard for me to imagine, but maybe it does come in Carolina and and henceforth. I I don't know, but there were unfortunately too many. uh, Most of our negative memories will be from the end of a run. Anytime a separation happens, it's usually because some things ended pretty ugly. So no no secret why most of ours were, were tied to to the end of the the run here. But I think this is an important question and then we'll kind of close with what we're what we what we think of week 1 is his time in Cleveland. Is it was it good enough? Was it was I guess the question the way I framed it is was he a bust? Was he a bust for Cleveland or do you think I guess it's hard it's hard to be a middle guy. He either was a bust or he wasn't. So I don't, I don't know what do you think of that uh, that statement? Yeah, I think it's a tough question. I think I am, I would lean towards saying he was not a bust because I do think when you win a playoff game, when you're, you know, in it in the fourth quarter to go to the AFC championship, when you're, you know, when you have a sort of streak like he did in the second half of 2020 and and when you brought sort of the hope that you did in your rookie season, I think he did enough, enough things where, Unfortunately, the bar is so low in Cleveland for quarterback play, but he really, like you said, it felt like 
he ushered in a modern era. It, it was watching a competent offense execute uh, for periods of time for the first time in what I can remember watching the Browns outside of like, you know, the randomness of Derek Anderson in 2007. But like he, you know, it was watching a NFL offense when the Browns for many, many years of my life uh, did not look like they belonged in the same league as a lot of NFL teams. It looked like they were playing different sports, especially offensively. And um, there were periods of time when the Browns looked like a legitimately one of the best offenses in the NFL. And it had been a very long time since I think anyone in Cleveland could say that. So I don't think, I don't think saying he was a, a bust is quite how I would, how I would go with it. But I, I think from, you know, taking him number one overall and seeing what, you know, he could do in spurts for, for it to sort of go the way that it did. It is, it is pretty disappointing. Um, you know, I think enough time has passed where the emotion of it has, has worn off a little bit. Um, the trade today, you know, I really don't feel, you know, I think there's probably some people that are really bummed. Um, and that sort of has escaped me because I think just how bad it was towards the end just completely wiped that off. And now with the emotion of it gone, he just kind of becomes another name on the list. And that to me is the most disappointing thing because while he did some good things and maybe he shouldn't be just a name on the list, that's what it is. And when you take somebody number one overall, um, you know, it's, it's similar to like the Tim couch thing. Like there's just massive disappointments for a very hyped quarterback taken very, very high and starting out with a bang and then completely just fizzling towards the end of it and, and it getting pretty ugly between him and the organization and, and comments and all that. So Jake, I don't know if I would say bust, and obviously I'm now towing the line on this question where either he's a bust or he's not, but I'm going to cheat and say that I do think there is a little bit of a middle ground here where um, it is a massive disappointment just because of um, what it looked like early on and what we thought it could be, uh, especially after the playoff win. But um, I think when we look back on it, you know, you get five, ten years removed, and it'll be like, yeah, it was good, but it was, you know, it wasn't great, you know, and especially if they find something with you, like whatever happened with Deshaun, um, or if there's someone else that comes in here that is a really successful quarterback and takes them, you know, farther and, and, and has more consistent quarterback play. Like then we're going to look at this and be like, well, yeah, it was, it was cool. It got us, it got the Browns out of the consistent sort of cycle of awfulness that they'd been in. But was it more than that? I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to say. I think, um, you know, there were flickers of, of fun, um, but it, it, it wasn't nearly enough for, for where he was drafted and, and who he who he thought and who we thought he could be. So uh, I am going to cheat. I'm going to say he's not a bust, but it's, it's very close. Like the dial is pointing very close, Jake, I think, to, to that to that word. Yeah, I think using the word disappointment is extremely fair. Not that you're mad about things he did or it's not. I think a, agreeing with you largely here, a bust is not it for me that's it's a it's a hyperbolic thing you got to be you got to be pretty bad to be a bust and he had stretches of good play here he had some results based things that were good here with wins uh taking the browns to places they have not been in a long time so i can't label him a bust but i definitely would say based on hey we're taking this guy number one at the top of a quarterback draft that has a guy like josh allen a guy like lamar jackson it's disappointing to see this be the outcome and I get different places, different results for different people. So you can't one for one exchange, but it's hard to look at those other guys having the success that they've had, 
you know, he's the middle ground, right? He's, he's not, he's not Darnold. He's not Rosen, but he's not the other two. He's in the middle and was average. What you were hoping for with the first pick. It's not really what you were hoping for. So it's hard to say it wasn't a disappointment based on the selection they had. So yeah, I think that's fair, but not, not a bust. There was too, there were too many good memories to, to fit in there. So we'll shift to the intrigue of week one. I mean, it's just so weirdly fitting. Yes. Unbelievable. Browns, the Browns get Carolina week one. And I think I've seen a lot of people consider him a lock to be the starter. And I'm not totally sure that's the case. I will say my two reasons. One, he's going to get a late start. You know, you would have wanted him to go through OTAs and minicamp yep. and have a feel for everything with these guys. So he's, ju- he's jumping into a late start. Preseasons are shorter than ever. Training camp shorter than ever. Plus, he is coming off of a labrum tear surgery in January. So it's not like it's been that long since he tore his labrum. And that's a pretty serious, not just the labrum, he had a broken bone in there, if I recall. So like, there's a lot of repair there. And there's nothing else I can tell you from watching Mayfield up close as I have in Berea, the same way you have. It takes every ounce of that man's body to create torque. And when he creates (laughs) torque, he can rip it, but he has to get everything into it. And he puts a lot of pressure on that shoulder. So I don't know that he'll just be ready to go August, whatever that date is. Uh, or September. I'm not sure if it sneaks into September these days, but I just think it's less a lock that he's a guaranteed week one starter based on those factors. He could be, he'd probably be the odds on starter, but I just don't know that it's a lock, right? Like I think that they're going to give Sam a chance to compete. And if he's not ready physically, there's also the element of, Hey, we'll ease you into this. We also know that you have some incentives here. We we only got to get you to 70% to take care of you from an agent player side. And maybe there's, we don't want you trying to be all world against your former team week one. And there's some elements there. Maybe they do. I don't know, but I just think it's less of guarantee than people are trying to say right now. I don't disagree. I mean, obviously Sam, despite his sort of shortcomings has, you know, been in the system and, um, you know, played for, for Matt rule. And now they got, they got big Ben McAdoo in there, baby. So, you know, that offense is going to be rocking and rolling. Um, did you see but, McAdoo's uh, comments about Mayfield when he oh, was yeah. drafted? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you gotta love it, dude. You just have to, <laughs> you just have to love it. It's also, the stat that um, the Panthers now two years in a row are facing the like the the quarterback they traded for. They faced their former team in Week One. They faced the Jets in Week One last year. And now they face the Browns. So uh, I I also enjoyed that parallel. So um, no, I mean that's the thing. Like we have, I think people just assume Baker after the surgery and all that is just going to like go back to his. 2020 form and i i don't know where like why that people would think that and why like that's just assume like he's gonna waltz in there and it's just be like i'm healthy like let's go um i we have no idea what he's gonna look like post-surgery and you just mentioned all the you know he has to be so mechanically and and physically healthy to get that torque on the ball to you know whip that thing out of his hand that like you know, it, it exactly. It could take some time for him to get st- full strength back in that shoulder and to relearn the the mechanics. I mean, that's we we were just talking about that. How bad is mechanics? Where he's got to sort of rewire his brain to you know not feel like he has to compensate anymore because he'll he's he's got a healthy labrum. So yeah, I I have no idea what to expect from him in training camp in a you know in a pretty different. Set. I mean, Kevin Stefanski had such a specific system you know and, and that was so sort of tailored towards how they wanted to run it and like so he's going 
it's a lot of different stuff that's going to be going on, um, you know, for him when he gets to Carolina. So absolutely no idea. But I, I mean, I will say the, just the prospect of it happening is, is pretty tantalizing in that not even in a way where it, I don't think, I mean, maybe for some fans, but I'm not quite in that camp, even though I got pretty, you know, I was pretty over the Baker Mayfield experience by the end of it. I'm not going to like, be screaming at the television and rooting for him to throw seven interceptions because I can't stand the guy or something like that. But I, I think it would just be fun to have that just be a matchup. You know, it would it would be a hugely energetic and entertaining week one matchup. Um, you know, Baker and and that right, Jake. This is like Baker lives for that stuff. Like that's Baker's like <laughs> that's Baker's Mona Lisa is like playing against a team that spurned him or some coach mm-hmm. that you know we all. Give him Texas Tech week one. Yeah. Give him Hugh Jackson going back to Cincinnati <laughs> and, and playing him. You know, like that type of thing, man. Yeah. He, he loves that stuff. So, um, you know, I think it would be fun to see from the other side. Like we're so used to like, you know, having Baker as the Browns quarterback and and him, you know, getting all revved up to play some enemy that he's he's made up in his mind. I think it would be interesting to see it from the other side. So I'm rooting for it to happen. Like I just think the entertainment value would be through the roof. But you're right. Like. I don't think there's any guarantee. I think there was a quote today from, from Matt rule who was like, you know, we're giving Sam Darnold every chance to win this job. Um, and, and we'll see. Um, but yeah, I have no idea what to expect out of him in training camp and how he's going to look and how long it's going to take him to sort of, yeah, a lot of stuff went wrong last year. Jake. There was a lot of bad stuff in his, in his mechanics and how he played that I think is going to take some time to, to get back. So, so we will see, but, but I, you know, selfishly from an entertainment value, absolutely. Like I hope it happens. I hope it's Brown's, uh, Panthers Baker Mayfield versus I don't know probably Jacoby Brissett so that takes a little bit of uh, a little bit of the flair out of it but you know we'll uh, we'll just have to see imagine a world where the NFL Sue Robinson says that he didn't violate the personal conduct policy uh, and you got goodness. a Deshaun you got a Deshaun Watson Baker Mayfield week one it'd be the highest rated one o'clock game ever I, I was gonna say can the uh, highest rated uh, special uh, uh, emergency Goodell emergency being like, Hey, we're flexing this to Monday night. Sorry. <laughs> we're doing yeah. it week one, but just, um, no, I mean, that would be, yes, you're right. That would probably be one of the highest, <laughs> highest rated one o'clock week one games of all time. For sure. It's not going to happen. Watson's getting suspended in some form or fashion. So we'll be yep. Jacoby Brissett, but it will be interesting. Nonetheless, if Baker starts, it'll be must see TV. It'll be the, it'll still be the highest watch game of that week outside of the primetime game. So anyway, listen, man, this is, this is 53 minutes of goodbye to Baker. I have nothing but good wishes for him, man. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff here. A lot of things you've heard about Baker. I've heard about Baker that we don't need to talk about on this pod. Uh, There's just, you know, he's, he, I, we're judging the guy on the field. He did some nice things off the field, held camps, uh, did some things uh, for the community, uh, there were there were good things for for people that needed it, and he didn't do anything wrong here per se. I, I mean, he just he he tried. I, I I wrote that tonight. He tried his hardest. I really do think, as far as being the best quarterback he could be, he tried. From what we know, he tried his hardest. And what more can you ask for from a guy with with you know is representing your your city's uh, franchise in any sport? And he seemed like he did that. So. Uh, wish him the best man in, in Carolina and outside of week one, hope he figures it out and finds an NFL life. But other than that, I'm just going to say without hopefully offending anyone that I'm glad he's not Cleveland's problem anymore. Just kind of am. So 
Uh, that's what yep. I have to leave it with. So my closing statements. The floor is yours. The closing statement. Yes. No, very nice. I think that's really well said. And I, I think, you know, you and I have felt similar about this for going on a little bit, uh, a while now, as we've talked about on this pod. And um, yeah, but I, you know, as we, when you, when you, when you DM'd me and we started, you know, texting about, you know, the pod tonight and reminiscing on, on some of the Baker stuff. I mean, it, it really was that rookie season. Um, that rookie season was so much fun. I mean, I, it was just great to be able to like be excited about your quarterback and, and watch some of the throws and, and feel like you had a guy for, even though it was a brief, a brief period of time, feel like you had a guy that was going to do some stuff um, that was going to get talked about nationally, you know, like having people pay attention to the Browns again, that was really, really cool. Um, and I, I think the Browns hold a place in, in Cleveland sports lore where like when it's going well, there's nothing like it, you know, and unfortunately we haven't had a lot of that. Um, but there were some, man, there were some games where it's just rocking, you know, uh, at first energy and um, just the buzz around the city. And, and he brought that. He really did for, for a, a fleeting period of time. He, he really made it like, finally, we have a good football team and a good quarterback. And I, I think that is something that, no matter how much he rubbed me the wrong way as it, as it sort of went on um, and, and what he sort of became as a player and sort of the personality stuff and the OBJ stuff which really, really bothered me. Like a lot of it, I really just got tired of, but I don't think that should take away from remembering what it felt like um, early on. And then in that 2020 season and, and the playoff win, I mean, I was losing my mind, Jake, during that playoff game, just in me in my apartment in Los Angeles and nobody else giving a flying F about like this game that's going on with the Browns and Steelers. And I'm just like screaming at the top of my lungs in my apartment, just a visceral years of frustration coming out. And so that's stuff I'm not going to forget. And I don't think people should forget like that should be, that should be part of his legacy in Cleveland and and remembering those times. I think sometimes we can definitely, and I'm probably guilty of this. um, There's, you know, the recency bias and recency stuff of, uh, of how sour a a taste was left in our mouth. It's hard to, um, think about stuff that came before it. Um, but I think now that we can do a little bit of reminiscing on it as the chapter closes, there were some really, really fun moments that, that he brought us. Um, and I think like that should not be forgotten, even as it, it sort of ends in a, in a place where, yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. It's, it's nice to not have to deal with him as the starting quarterback and the arguments that it brought out on Twitter, which were just absolutely nauseating at sometimes. So, um, it is the right time for this chapter to end, but there were memories that I, as a like as a Cleveland sports fan, will will hold for a long time, and I I think that's about as good as you could ask for um, in terms of you know a four year stretch of a guy that that had the limitations that he did. Yeah, we're thankful, thankful for all he did. I think we should also probably too stop retweeting a photo of somebody being really excited and making a hyperbolic statement about Baker Mayfield in the heat of a playoff birth you've never seen in your lifetime or the playoff <laughs> win you've never seen in your lifetime. Hey, you know, people's opinions change as the evidence grows. That's just sort of how it goes in life. So enough of the, uh, I gotcha moments when you retweet somebody saying something about Baker Mayfield in a really positive overblown status, right? That's why they don't give contract offers after one year of performance. They do it after four to five years. So that's kind of yep. how it works. So your gotcha moment stuff there doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite hold up, and you look kind of silly. So anyway, Jordan, man, fun fun pod in a in a weird way. Um, sad, but it is uh, a new era. We'll see what this we'll see what this new era brings. But nonetheless, a, an interesting Baker Mayfield run that I think we tied a nice bow on here, man. I appreciate 
your time as always, brother. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, yeah, for both of us, we both started kind of doing a pod during the Baker Mayfield era, you know, and kind of came into um, our respective sort of careers and in, in, in sports while, while this was happening. So like, yeah, I mean, that's a nostalgic thing. And it's really the only the football, good football that we sort of <laughs> have a memory of so far. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, there's a special place for it just because of, you know, us, our careers and, and these pods and coming together on these things. So that that's a pretty cool, a pretty cool thing too. All right. That puts a bow on it, guys. Jordan couldn't have said it better uh, in, in that scenario. And I won't, I won't, I don't have anything to add to it. We have, we've covered it all and uh, we'll keep, we'll keep on keeping on with your Cleveland Browns. I will check back in with you. Uh, in the next 24 hours with a preview of defensive tackles, I promised. Unfortunately, I know maybe some of you were just on pins and needles over that defensive tackle preview, <laughs> but we had to talk about Baker, so we flushed it out. So thanks to Jordan. Thanks to you guys for listening, checking out the show. Always appreciate you guys stopping in every day as you do, and uh, hopefully your start to July is off to a great start. Keep kicking butt. Have a great day, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.